as the children are leaving, just a couple of things I want to mention. One, if you knew Bob and Shirley and you would like to be a part of Bob's service, that service will be on Tuesday at 1 o'clock at Clock Funeral Home. So that's Tuesday, 1 o'clock at Clock. And then if you're a guest with us today, <clears throat> if you're a guest with us today, we'd love to, sorry. Apparently I can't speak. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, one of the things we'd love to invite you to is uh, we think it's hard to figure out a new place to call home. And so if you've come today, maybe you might try five times before you make a decision one way or the other what church you'd call home. Um, so I just want to share a couple things. It's been an interesting couple weeks in my life uh, and the life of some other people too, probably. Two weeks ago, I spoke at a college campus in Nashville for a week and um, found myself reflecting a lot during that week. And, and then the same thing was a mission trip with many from our church week before last, and reflecting a lot there, and um, just thinking each morning, I, I spent some time thinking about my life in this church and other things. And then again, um, yesterday, our daughter hit double digits, she turned 10, and so like, there's a lot of reflecting and a lot of gray hair that comes with that conversation, um, but, but just thinking on my life. And so the question I, I've kind of been asking myself these past few weeks and it's a question I, I, I can't really escape, and it was fitting as I was reading Paul's words of the church in Colossae in Colossians chapter 1 today, these words still couldn't escape me. And here's the question I've been asking myself. It's a simple question. What is my life producing? What is my life producing? Now, some of you work in jobs and professions where you literally make stuff, and so you can tell you at the end of the day or the week or the month or the year, like, hey, we made this, and you produce something. I produce nothing. That's why I kind of like cutting grass, right? I see a finished product at least for a couple days, and then I have to do it again, and that's how that works. But this question, I think you probably should be asking as well, what is my life producing? When I add together my hobbies and my work, my time with friends and family, my job, what is the sum total of all that together? What is my life producing? Is it adding meaning to the world in which we live? Is it something that adds value? Or is it something you go at the end of the day, eh, it's kind of indifferent? Or is it even destructive? Is it taking away value from something in the world in which we live? And so this question, what is my life producing? Right? I think it's a question that's valuable for all of us today. But if you are a follower of Jesus, I believe this question is actually vital to your life. We begin wrestling with what it looks like, right? What are we producing? In fact, Paul is going to use a particular word today. He doesn't say, what is my life producing? He asks this question. He says, is my life bearing fruit, right? I mean, you'd find that in the produce section, right? This idea that Paul is trying to get at. But, but what is it that my life is producing? So Paul's writing this church, the letter in Colossae, and he's writing it from prison. So that's important to know, by the way. Paul is in prison. Uh, there's some debate whether he's in prison in Ephesus or prison in Rome. If it's the prison in Rome, he never really left prison. He was killed. So Paul knows that his life is going to be short because of what he's been doing. And so um, Paul writes this letter to the church in Colossae. He's never been to the church in Colossae, but what we know about this is that he writes to them saying this, um, I know there's been some weird teachings among your community and in, in the area, and so I, I'm just going to kind of give you some corrective, but also like, hey, I just want to celebrate the good things I see first. And so here's what Paul writes, Colossians chapter 1. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. 
We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bringing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul begins this letter probably how we should begin most of our conversations with people. He begins with the blessing and thankfulness. Like, hey, I just want to say thank you for who you have been, for what you have done, for what you continue to do. And then he gives kind of credit to the church for two attributes. And these two markers are pillars of the church, both in that day and in this day. These two things Paul points out. One, he points out their faith in Christ. And two, he points out their love for their neighbors. These two things are markers of the church, both then and now. Faith in Christ, faith in Jesus, and love for neighbor. Now, I know one of those things, we use love in all kinds of weird ways, right? But if we talk about the church in the first few centuries, what was so radical about the church was the way people loved, especially not just their family or their friends, but their enemies. It revolutionized the Roman Empire. And so this love for enemies is just this radical idea that they're called to live. In fact, it's what Jesus teaches about and so I've heard many people say, hey, loving your enemies doesn't work. You know what? They're right. It doesn't work. If the markers of the followers of Jesus are the same as the markers of the world in which we live, if the values of our culture at large are considered the values of God's kingdom, then yes, loving our enemies doesn't work. Because so often, God, what he values, is at odds with what we value. I love what one scholar quoted and said this, Hope is the certainty that in spite of the world's ways, God's way of love has the last word. Paul talks about loving our neighbor, loving people that are not like us, loving people who are so radically different than us. He writes this to a church while in prison, and if it is in the prison of Rome, he would never escape. 
So Paul would talk about loving your enemies who are oppressing him and persecuting him. And he's saying, hey, love them anyway. This is a radical way that Christ calls the church to live. It is countercultural. It is a unique way. It is other in the world in which we call home. And so in the midst of oppression, our love should overflow for the sake of others. And so I would say this way. By the standards of the world in which we live, Paul is a radical failure. But by the standards of Jesus, we consider him a saint. I was trying to think how I would articulate this, and I wrote this this week. I just said the way of love seen in Jesus is laughable in the ways of the world. But maybe, I would argue, the ways of the world are not producing better results. Maybe, maybe it doesn't have to work in the way in which the world we live in. Maybe this call to be a part of God's kingdom, to be followers of Jesus, maybe it is so other, so radical, so different, that it doesn't have to work in the way we define what works. But what if, what if it will change and transcend and renew the very world in which we live anyway? So here's what, what Paul's celebrating. He's celebrating this idea that their belief in action produces results, right? So their belief in action, not only did they just believe something cognitively or in their heart or whatever, but they put it to work in the way that they lived. And so their belief in action produced results. And so Paul wrote these words. He said this, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. I love that last line. Not only did you hear it, but you truly understood God's grace. God is creating a new way of living. It's around love and forgiveness, grace and mercy, and his justice. And so what Paul is trying to get the church in Colossae to understand is the same thing that Jesus wanted others to understand is this, that you and I are invited into a right relationship, an intimate relationship with the very divine creator of all. You and I are invited into this particular way of life. And not just you and I, but the whole world is invited to come to know the depth of the love of God seen in his son Jesus, witnessed in his death on the cross, fulfilled through his resurrection. You and I are invited to know that same God in an intimate way. It's good news for all people from all backgrounds, in all situations, in all places. And so here is the crazy thing about the early church. And this is radical, by the way. This is, I, I, I'm not going to lie, this is one thing that if I was God, I'm not, but if I was, I would do this part differently. I would. Here's why. The gospel is humanly transmitted. In other words, people tell it. People like you and I tell people about Jesus. This is where I said, if I was not God, I would not pick you and I to be doing this. I would pick something else, some other form, some other medium, rather than saying, hey, I want the good news about who my son is. I want the good news about how God came to forgive you of your sins, to free you from what has enslaved you, to find true freedom in him. I, I would not pick you and I for that. No offense to you. But he does. The way the message of Jesus is shared in Colossae or Muskegon or along the lake shore. It's through you and I. He picked you. He picked me. 
And you and I are called to be the witnesses, the people who share, who give testimony, who give stories about what Jesus has done, not just in the world, but in our own lives. And so Paul does this, though, and he says, well, how do we go about that? And so he says, well, um, we pray. Pretty good option, right? So he says this, he says, prayer asks for insight into God's will and the power to perform that will. So we pray not only so that we can know who God is, but we can know how we're supposed to live out what God invites us into. In fact, today, before we end, before we leave here, you're going to be invited to a particular time of prayer and a particular couple of things. But, but I want to say something about prayer that I think is incredibly important. And this is not my line. I wish it was. But we pray not in order to escape life, but in order to be better able to meet it. Our prayer time is not so we can escape the life that we're living. Our prayer time is not like, oh God, this world is so bad. Will you just take me away from it and just blow everything up? No, that's not why we pray. We pray so we can say, God, I know who you are, and I know what your character is, and I know what your nature is, and I know I am not that, and so will you help me to see your will in this world, and will you use me to live that out in the places I call home, in the places I work, in the places I go to school, wherever it may be, will you help me to live in that? And Paul says this, that then those people will bear fruit. And you'll be filled with these two words. He says, knowledge and wisdom. Right? So what's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Knowledge is like head stuff. Like he wants us to know, know stuff, to be smarter, learn more, read more, but also to have wisdom. And wisdom is a combination of head smart and just common sense. So in other words, I want the very people of God to be smart about who God is, and I want them to live with common sense in their everyday lives. Why? And there's, what, right, there's this phrase that's used two times in this next text. So that, right? So, so that. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, right? So knowledge and wisdom, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Bearing fruit, producing, in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, so that our life produces good fruit. So what should be produced in that? What should that look like? Well, it's our belief in action And what should our belief in action lead to? What kind of fruit is Paul writing about? It's the expansion of the very kingdom of God, the growth of the church, the good news of Jesus, so radically expanding in the world around us that it began to transform the communities in which it was spoken. Now, I want to be clear today. It is not easy to put our belief into action. It is not easy to wish for God's kingdom to come about. That is not an easy thing. It's why um, Paul prays for two things specifically for the church, that they would have endurance and patience. Endurance and patience, right? It's the ability to stay the course. Eugene Peterson had a line that's, that's been used over and over again, but it's this idea of long obedience in the same direction. Some of you get this. Some of you in this room have prayed for things for decades and are still praying for them. Others of you have prayed for things for decades and you have watched it come true in your life. Some of you have prayed for spouses or children or neighbors to come to know Jesus and you have prayed and you have prayed and you have prayed and you watched it happen. Others of you have prayed and prayed and are still praying. So what Paul is saying is this, that 
that if you come to know the depth of the grace and mercy of God, that when you pray with a long obedience in the same direction, God will give you the grace and the perseverance and the endurance to persevere through prayer. He doesn't say God will answer all your prayers in the way you desire. I wish it's what it said. It doesn't. But he does say God will produce fruit through you. God will produce fruit through your life in your endurance and your perseverance and your long obedience in the same direction. God will use you and produce fruit in your life, right? I was trying to think of how we could do this, right? It's a time that our, our community garden started to look, look nice, right? There's that weird time where it looks ugly and gross, and that looks great. Um, it'll look better in about another month. But, but I was thinking about how um, I am not good at growing anything, um, and I know that uh, weeds are annoying, right? I became the only thing to say. I, I hate weeds, I hate them in sidewalks, I hate them in driveways, I hate weeds, right? Um, I like weed killer. I don't like weeds in my grass. Have you noticed this though, like weeds in grass? Like you can spray them and that works for a moment, but here's the reality of what happens. Over time, they're going to come back. Do you know the best way to eradicate weeds from grass? It is not to spray them, although that's a good start. The best way to eradicate weeds in your yard is this, to grow healthier grass. And you suffocate the weeds out. The healthier the grass, the more you suffocate weeds out. God wants you and I to come to know the depth of his love and his grace and his mercy. For to so redefine our lives that for us to become so healthy, just who we are and the communities in which we live, that the weeds that just kind of choke things and kill things, that they would be destroyed by the health of his people. And we grow healthy, not just by fertilizer, but we grow healthy through rhythms of Christian practices. Things like prayer, reading of scripture, going to church, times in silence and solitude, and reflection, and meditation, times where we spend time listening to the voice of God, times when we confess our sins one to another, times when we do these practices, they make us healthier, because if we're not careful, we'll have blind spots in our lives, and we'll not allow people to speak into them. If we're not careful, we'll ignore big holes in our lives, but if we'll engage in the rhythms, the practices, the disciplines of the Christian life, what we might find is over time, God begins to take those weeds of our life and the health begins to just push in such a way that they're, they're just destroyed. They're not there anymore. If we use scriptural terms, we talk about this idea that God wants to sanctify us, to make us holy, to set us apart, to cleanse us, to purify us to make us like his son, to live life in rhythm with Jesus and his people. Like I said earlier, um, I don't produce much. I don't make anything. Um, In fact, most of my weeks I spend, starting on Monday or Tuesday, I look at a blank computer screen. It's a depressing sight, by the way. Because did you know there are 52 Sundays in a year? Did you know that? And so every week I look at a computer screen and I go, huh, unless Matt's preaching or Holly, uh, uh, every week I look at a computer screen and at some point, whether I've written pages and pages of notes, it is completely blank. And then I always put like the scripture for the week at the top so it's not blank anymore. Sometimes that's all that sits there for a long time. 
And sometimes I'll even copy and paste the scriptures, right, and put them on there so that it's not blank anymore. There's more words. But the problem is, over time, that blank screen sometimes feels radically daunting. I know I need to produce something, and I look at this computer screen, and I go, I just wish words would be there. Other times, I start writing the minute the screen comes up, and I don't stop until I'm done. I'm like, whoa, that was way easier today. The problem is, before I get to it, I don't know which day is going to be easier and which day is going to be harder. Some weeks I look out and I look forward to what we're talking about in three, four weeks out. Other times I'm going, man, I'm dreading that. But what if, what if our lives were blank screens? What if this, what if there's a God who says whatever has gone before, whatever words have been put on that page, we can erase all of them. And what if your life right now is a blank screen? And what if God's saying to you and I, you can reset your life and you can write a new life going forward? And the question you and I have to, to answer is this. If we begin to write our life on this screen, on this page, what would happen? What would our life produce? Would we live a life of endurance and patience? Would we live a life that produces fruit for the sake of the kingdom? Or would we live a life in which we go, I don't really know what I produced. I made a lot of money, or I worked a lot, or whatever, but I, I don't know what, at the end of the day, I don't know what value my life added to the world. But what if you and I, what if we're invited to live in such a way that the world would be radically transformed by how we live, that our neighbors and our community would come to know the depth of God's love by us? Right, so one of the areas I'm learning patience, it's a long road for me for that, um, It's not a great trait of mine. It's getting better. But I pray that like when I came here, we would would just meet all kinds of people and people come to know Jesus like crazy. But here's the reality. It's a slower process for some of us than we thought it would be. But our church has had a unique problem in the last few months, Um, not necessarily in this middle of the summer. So thanks for being holy today and showing up to church because that just makes you more holy than people who are not sitting there. Um, And right now, we don't have the problem today, but we were having a significant problem if you go right um, kind of before Easter and after Easter until school gets out, right? That's kind of how that works, unfortunately. We live in West Michigan. I get it. It's only Sunday, like nine days a year. Um, But we didn't have enough seats at times, and people were coming in and kind of standing back and looking. It was a a problem. It's a good problem. Like, I would way rather have that kind of problem. Um, That's the kind of problem I like. Those are fun problems. And so I was thinking, like, we have had this problem, but it's... um, like, it needs some solutions. And so, like, I know it's summer, so we don't have a problem right now. So it feels good to not have that problem, kind of. For you, it might. For me, it doesn't. But, but I was thinking about how, what are the solutions, right? Here are the solutions. Eventually, uh, because if we don't create solutions, people just quit coming. They don't come. They don't, guests don't show up any longer, and they feel like they're visitors, not guests. They're not welcome. They're not invited. There's no space for them, right? So there's a couple of things that we can do if we want to live as people, as Paul writes, who produce fruit, and we think the church in Colossae, and just like the church in Muskegon, should produce fruit. Should meet more people. Should more people come to know the depth of who God is. And so the alternatives, right? Here, here are all the alternatives. We can, we can set up a screen in the gym or in classrooms, but like that's, that's really kind of like a stopgap, like a Band-Aid kind of thing. That's really not that much of a solution long-term. It's like, hey... 
you're late, we got a seat for you in the back. You're like the stepchild we don't really want, right? I mean, like, it's not a great thing. Or we could do this, right? We could, we, we've been talking about this and kind of praying about this. And so we're just kind of being transparent about this as a conversation among our staff and our church board. We've been talking about what does it look like for us to launch another service this fall or even this January. And we don't really know the answer to that, but we've been talking about it because we do believe in our community. I can tell you the numbers. I haven't seen this since the 2020 census, but in 2010, there were 172,000 people in Muskegon County who didn't have a church they called home. Within five miles of this church, there were over 120,000 people who didn't have a church they called home. It's kind of real. Those are people that Jesus loves, that Christ died for, that matter, that we would love to create space and opportunity for them to come to know him. And so how does that happen? Well, we need more people to serve. Like, that's the bottom line. We need a deeper commitment from others. We need more people to serve with kids. Like, that's our biggest need always on Sundays. Uh, we have an incredible group of volunteers that work with Pastor Holly and serve and invest in kids. And I know personally, I'm incredibly grateful to many of you who have done that, even for my own kids. In fact, we would probably use a phrase often, if we get closer to this, it would be like, uh, woe-so or so-woe, right? Worship one, serve one, or serve one, worship one. I know it's really hard, complex language there. But here's the reality for us as a church, like for us to ever think about this, I can think it's a great idea, our church board could think it's a great idea, uh, people who work with Matt or Holly or Sarah or others could think it's a great idea, or Kendra, like we could think it's a great idea, but, but here's the problem, it can be a great idea unless you and I are engaged in it together. Right? Because let's be really honest, it's not much more work for me to preach one more time, two versus one, not that big a difference in my life. It's not. It's a little more exhausting, but I'll be fine. For some of you, for us to be serious about this, to say, hey, I'll commit to this time slot, or I'll commit to being there, I'll commit to serving, I'll do something I've never done before, that's a bigger commitment. Hey, I will sacrifice something for the sake of other people so there's more seats, more opportunity, and I will invite and invest. Like, that's, that's a stretch. And so I'm not saying we're doing that today, but I just want you to know where we are and what we've been talking about and what that might look like. And if you begin to pray with me about what that might be in your life, um, and here's why. All of that conversation is for one singular reason. God wants to expand his church. So when Paul wrote these words, the gospel is bearing fruit throughout the whole world. We want the gospel to bear more and more fruit on the lake shore as well. And he wants to use you and I to do it. In fact, as Paul writes these words in this text that we just read, he has qualified you. I know, I know. You're like, yeah, but me? Yep, you. I said earlier, right, I, I, God uses people. I wish he sometimes didn't, but, but God uses people. And I, I let's be honest, I, I know it's you and I he wants to use. But here's the cool thing about what Paul writes and what Jesus would want to affirm he has qualified you to do the work of his kingdom. He wants to so change and shape your heart and your life so that he can use you to do his work. And so that question I began with today, the question, what is my life producing, is the same question I'm asking about our church. What is the life of our church producing? What is the life of our church producing? Are we becoming better disciples of Jesus, more committed followers? Are we more serious about coming to know the depth of the scriptures and to come to know Jesus personally? Is that a new rhythm of life? Is it reorienting the values of our households? 
Or is it just kind of an additive on the side? What is the life of our church producing? So I have three, um, three kind of prayer requests today. And so we're going to do this a little different than we normally do today. Uh, so if you're guests, this doesn't happen every Sunday, but today it's going to... Um, I'm going to share with you three prayer requests, three ways of praying to God, ask for help and invitation and knowledge. And then um, Noel come play on the piano. And as Noel plays, um, we're going to invite you. I'm going to pray. And um, then if you want to come kneel at the altar and pray about these three things for this community of faith. And here are the three things. One, who is God inviting you to share with? When you think about people in your life who don't yet know Jesus, who always comes to your mind? Who is God inviting you to share with? Who is God inviting you to pray for? Who is God bringing to the forefront of your mind? Two, how is God calling you to serve? Right? For many of us, we can consume stuff. Well, I was having this conversation with my uncle on Friday, and uh, talking about a mutual friend of ours. And he's like, yeah, he's like just watches church online and probably goes like two out of ten times now. And I'm like, yeah, well, how is he part of a community of faith? And how is he serving? And like, eh, great questions, right? If you're online with us today, we're so glad you're with us. But we want you to be engaged in relationship, and we still think you're called to serve, period. All of us are. And so that's the question, right? How is God calling you to serve? And here's the third one, right? And this is me being as transparent and vulnerable as I can in us as a community of faith. I ask you to pray with me that God would give us clarity on the right next step for our church. You and I are capable of praying for this. So these three things, who is God inviting you to share with? How is he calling you to serve? And what's the right next step for the church? It comes back to the question, not only is what is my life producing, but what is the life of our church producing? So I invite you to stand with me at this time. We're gonna um, we're gonna pray together. And as I pray, if you want to come and kneel and pray over any of these three things, maybe maybe God just brought someone to your mind, and you're like, "Man, I gotta pray for this person." Or maybe you've been feeling challenged and convicted that maybe I need to serve in some unique way that I haven't been before. Then we invite you to come and pray about that. Or maybe you go, "Hey, this church is my home, or this community I care about, and I want to see God's kingdom furthered in ways I've never known." And so I'm gonna pray that God will give clarity for whatever the right next step needs to be. I believe with all that I am that God wants to so redeem you and I, that he wants us to live this radical alternative way of living, this way of life where we come to know Jesus, who would lay down his life to say, hey, do you want to know how far God's love will go? Go to even the place of death for the sake of all people. That he's calling you and I into that very same life that we would follow in this sacrificial, selfless way of Jesus. And so as I pray, and then at the end of the song, we'll sing together, or at the end of the, the prayer, we'll sing together. If you feel compelled to pray for one of these three things in your life, the life of the church, or you just need to come to a space, and right, we, in our tradition, we, we, call, um, we call this an altar. Or it's, a, it's a place where we think God dialogues with us. A place of transformational dialogue where we step forward in faith and the very Spirit of God meets us there in a way that we... I mean, you can pray at your seat, and that's great, and I'm not knocking that at all. But, but there's something unique that happens that you come forward and say, God, I want you to speak into my life. I know that I want to take a step towards you. Will you help me to trust that you're taking a step towards me? 
And so if while we pray, you want to do that, you can come and just pray. And then if, um, I'll, I'll add this caveat, maybe there's something else in your life that you need to pray about. And you just want someone to pray with you. So if you come to my right, your left, we will leave you alone and you can just pray for one of these things or whatever else. But if you come to my left, your right, then someone's going to come and pray with you. Because maybe just today, maybe the line when I said, like one of the ways we grow is through confess your sins one to another. Maybe you just need to confess. We need someone to pray with you or whatever it might be. But we believe in a God who meets us where we are, who gives us endurance and patience, who stretches us, who invites us to live by faith and hope and love. Read Paul. He writes faith, hope, and love, I think we're used about 15 times in those few verses we read today. But what might happen in our workplaces, in our homes, in our schools, if we become the kind of people so radically defined by the graciousness of God? We pray with me. Father, we come before you today. We ask that you might help us as we pray about these things. Maybe we need to step out and forward and come and pray and kneel, and we need to pray about, God, we help me to share with this person Will you help me to, to serve? And I just need clarity on how to do that. Oh God, I, I just care about this church and I want us to take our right next step. And we need your wisdom for that. So today, God, we, we don't know where it is that you may have us called to go or what to do. We do desperately desire to be people who have put our belief in action, who are people who put our faith in Christ and love our neighbors. We would be the kind of people that by how we live, by the virtue of what we would do and say, that the world would be radically transformed so that our life would produce something of value, something that is eternally significant. As Paul writes, gospel is bearing fruit. And so we want to share the good news of Jesus. And we ask today, maybe, maybe as we look at our own lives, there's an area where we know we're not producing fruit, we're not bearing fruit, we're not, man, we're like, they're just weeds that have taken over. And so today, we want you to change our hearts. We want to become healthy and whole. We may need to be healed. We may need to stop believing that we're not worth loving. We may need to start believing that you love us. So God, we ask that you would speak into that, that you would transform us, that you would help us to be your people. And so, Father, we pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.